You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. We've been walking through a series um, on the, what, what's been popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of the, record, the, the written uh, recording of Jesus, what often people will call his kind of inaugural message, his kind of explanation of what his kingdom looks like. If you're going to say, yeah, I'm in, I'm going to align myself with Jesus Christ, then this is the kind of life he has called us to live. And it's the kind of life that'll look ridiculous to the world. It'll look upside down to the world, and we'll see that even today. Um, So I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles if you have them, grab your Bible apps if you have them, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 27 through to 32. Matthew 5, 27 through to 32. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The word of God. God. You weren't ready to say that after that one. (laughs) Well, I think the text is pretty self-explanatory, so let's pray and then we'll head off. God of grace, I pray you'll speak to us uh, this morning. And God, my prayer is that as we look to you, Jesus, we would, we would repeat the words of the disciples. Even as things get difficult, even as you challenge us, Jesus, we look at you and say, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And so believing that, we look at this text this morning. Believing that, we say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts. Holy Spirit, do a work in us for your glory, and for our physical, emotional, and spiritual health. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a seat. Hey, if you're visiting with us this morning, (laughs) welcome. Good to have you. Um, A lot of prayer, a lot of um, concern has gone into how I would uh, deliver this message this morning. I, I think the text is sure to offend Many today, because this is offensive to the follow your heart culture that we live in. Jesus calls us to an ethic of the other over ourselves. And that's really what this text is about. A sacrificial elevation of the other, which sees the other as one made in the image of God and worth the death of his son. We see the other as a brother or sister in Christ, a child of the living God. In Jesus' kingdom, we are invited into a better way and a way of wisdom and a way of health physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But here is the thing. Jesus is always concerned 
about those who will be hurt by a lack of wisdom, by those who will not listen to God's uh, ordained understanding of creation and how his creatures ought to live in his creation. When we tune out God's voice, when we tune out God's instruction for how we ought to live, whether it be the gift of sexuality or marriage, people get hurt. And usually, and this was the case in Jesus' day, this is why it's speaking to men, this is the case today, it is usually women and children who get hurt when sexuality is un- goes unchecked and when marriage is taken lightly. And we can see today in both of these same areas that there's been a lack of wisdom and women and children are the majority of the victims. When sexuality, when, when marriage are approached and in, engaged without a larger narrative, they lead to dividing families, leaving women and children at risk, and they can cut to the core of culture, they can cut to the core of community. So before we jump into the text, just two thoughts before we do that. The first is this, you do not need to be sexually engaged to flourish. There has been a rumor going around for about 500 years, <laughs> That the only way you can truly be yourself is if you express yourself sexually. Um, For about 500 years, people with names like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, Freud, uh, last century, uh, uh, Michel Foucault, tried to explain that the greatest life that can possibly be lived is one where your body expresses itself in any possible way it deems necessary. Any way that finds pleasure, any sexual expression is okay. Just follow your heart. So that we have reduced ourselves to how we express ourselves sexually, whether it be heterosexual, homosexual, transsexual, our cultural has reduced the individual to how they express themselves. And God says, you are so much more than that. The gospel, the good news that you are seen and you're known and you're loved by God, it proclaims that you're so much more than that. Your identity is not reduced to what your body or your mind desire. And more, more important than that, your worth is not reduced to what your body and your mind desire. So be clear on this. Although we're about to talk about sexuality and, and, and sexual, twisted sexuality and marriage, you do, the scripture is clear. You do not need to be sexually active or express yourself sexually in order to find fulfillment and flourishing. The second thing is this. You do not need to be married to flourish. And I would say here where, where maybe the, the world since the Enlightenment has dad, done a bad job on the area of sexuality, I would say the church for a long time has done a poor job when it comes to defining who we are as single people at times. I will point out that much of the New Testament was written by a man who was single. Paul. I may also point out that our Savior <laughs> was single. Many who have done amazing things. In fact, I would say, I could maybe make an argument that the majority of people who have done amazing things for the kingdom have lived lives of singleness and celibacy. Or even those who have not chosen, chosen to be single, have often ended up doing great things for the kingdom. Paul makes it very clear, and I'm not sure how the church has missed this for so long. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 to 35. It says, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, as he should be. 
and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So married or unmarried is not better or worse. Being married is not greater than. There is a, a great... Um, there is a great need for single people fully devoted to Jesus and the work of the kingdom. However, if marriage is the choice, if, or singleness is the choice, Scripture is quite clear that the sexual act has one healthy way of being expressed, and that's within the protective covenant between a man and a woman, where both have committed before God to live in covenant. This is the environment that God has ordained for sexuality, for raising children, and for the flourishing of society. So what Jesus is saying here is, hey, when it, when it does come down to sexuality, when it does come down to marriage, in my kingdom, if you are going to associate yourselves with me, we do not objectify the sacred. We do not look at those whom God has created or God's created order for marriage as objects to be consumed at our leisure and for our purposes. So looking first at the sacred other, we do not objectify, Jesus says, the sacred other. In verses 27 to 28, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Clearly stated, adultery in scripture as it was understood by those who would be listening to Jesus, and as Paul uses it throughout the New Testament, is any sexuality that is outside a monogamous married relationship between a man and a woman. That's how the Bible understands marriage. That's how it understands what adultery is. Will some people choose to, to not be a part of that? Yes. Can, can it exist? Yes. Is it God's design? No. That's, that's not what God has laid out. Genesis 1, chapter 27, Genesis uh, chapter 2, 24 to 25. These are texts that the, the New Testament and Jesus continue to look back at to refer to, to make clear that this was God's design of how marriage ought to be understood. That is the biblical understanding of marriage. Are there other understandings today? Yes, that's not what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus and his listeners would have understood anything outside of the marriage covenant as adultery. And not part of God's flourishing design. Why? Meant to safeguard you and me and women and children and society. So first notice this. Jesus says, you've heard it said. I love that. You've heard it said. He does not say it is written. He's not, he's not saying, hey, you aren't even going to scripture to kind of back up. You're not even trying to twist scripture. You've just heard it said. You're, 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 he's challenging the ideology of his day that was concerned with how religious you appeared on the outside. Can I impress other people by putting stringent rules that, that they, will, they will always look at me and think, this is a righteous person? Suggesting that how you express yourself, how righteously you express yourself to the world is not the main issue. The main issue is the orientation of your heart. Is it aimed towards Jesus? And then secondly, he leans in and he says, if you look at women, men, if you look at women lustfully, you've already committed adultery. It's already as if you're in a sexual relationship outside of a marriage. You've already moved off the mark of where Jesus wants our hearts. Why is that such a concern to him? Because in Jesus' kingdom, we do not objectify 
the other. We don't take someone who's been created in the image of God and make them an object. For our safety, for his glory, we do not objectify the sacred. We do not dehumanize what God has humanized. What he's looked at and said, I've created you in my image. This is good. We do not make less of those people. Speaking of, of pornography and, and things in this area and dehumanizing, it's dehumanizing effects. Pope John Paul II wisely said this. He said, there's no dignity when the human dimension is eliminated from the person. In short, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much of the person, but that it shows far too little. He got that one right. You and I, as those who, who serve the one who died so that others could be lifted out of darkness, how can we then dehumanize? It doesn't make sense in his kingdom. I have sat with people in my office over coffee and said, okay, um, this is how we, we should live, but how far is too far? <laughs> how, how far? How far can we go? Well, I don't know. When you're looking at a dangerous cliff, how far do you get? That, that makes no, no sense. A love for Jesus and a love for others does not say, how close can I get without doing harm? How close can I get without breaking what God has called me to? Um, this is a picture of uh, Karakoram Highway. We have a picture here. This is a, a highway between Pakistan and China. It, oh, while it was being built, over 900 people died while constructing this road. It, it goes up over 18,000 feet above sea level. There are no barriers in many areas. Many drivers have, from, from, uh, from altitude sickness have, have been disoriented and have gone off the end. If I was to drive down this highway, I would not say, hey, how close can we get to the edge? Just a little closer, driver. Let's see if we can get a little closer. And he would say, you know what? A lot of people have tried that who've gone ahead of us and they've fallen and it's ruined them. Yeah, but let's just try it. You better believe the drivers who drive this highway and with, with buses full of people, they're hugging pretty tight to the side. They're not guessing how close they can get. They're getting how far away can I get? Jesus' advice is to go in the opposite direction. He says in verse 29, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If it's better for you to lose a part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, we've come to a point in the last 20 to 30 years where that which was once considered shameful and took place in buildings with covered windows, now is a part of regular television and, and, and much further extent the internet. That which was once the collection of what we would consider the sexually deviant is now easily accessible online. The sacred other for whom Jesus died and for whom you and I have been called to invite into the kingdom of God are on display. And young men and women and children are victims of darkness in this dehumanizing industry. Everyone is a victim of its darkness, the addictive aspect of pornography, which means that marriages are being broken, that young men no longer know how to communicate with girls. Girls often these days are assuming that sex will be a part of their very first uh, interaction with someone on a date. Aggression is growing, uh, betrayal, mistrust, anger, and of course, the shame that comes along with it. This, you want to know what the result of following your heart is? That's the result of following your heart. 
When we tune out the voice of protective wisdom that Jesus is giving us. You get the idea that Jesus takes this pretty seriously? Gouge your eye out, Jesus. You'll shoot your eye out. Lobbing off your hand. Yes, he's being metaphorical. Even to the, the point of speaking of hell, he's saying, this aims to destruction. That is the telos. That is the trajectory of this kind of behavior, this kind of sin. It steals life and heads towards the burning dump heap. If you look at Jesus' words literally, we would be a church of pirates. Arr, welcome to church. Let's worship. But what he's saying is, is as much as you can, as much as you can, don't play without guardrails. As much as you can, cut out the opportunity for sin to get a hold of you. Do not play with these things. They are poison on your soul and that leaks out to those who we love and hurts. Here's the point. Love God. Love God and those made in his image enough to meticulously and surgically remove anything that would harm his created order. And we can all think of things in our life that in big and small ways and go, that, I need to trim that out of my life. We do not objectify the sacred other, the sacred stranger. That's the first part of what Jesus says. Jumping into the next part, Jesus says, do not objectify the sacred spouse. If you're wondering who's sacred, everyone is. Because everyone was worth the death of Christ. Everyone has the right to be called a child of the living God. So do not objectify the sacred spouse. In verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The point here again is not to say that, that you must uh, put up with everything. It's not, this is speaking to men in this culture. So it is in no way suggesting women should put up with abuse, verbal, physical, that they should grin and bear it until they can find evidence of adultery. Jesus is taking the practice of his day, something that was going on, and he's challenging it. He is specifically speaking to how men were going about divorcing women in his day. Finding any fault, including what one rabbi wrote, burning breakfast, as a reason to divorce their wives. If you are displeased, you could find any reason you needed, you wanted to divorce her. Listen, abuse was not a co as common as we, as we think of as abuse. It was not, uh, women were, were always worse off moving out of a marriage in a Jewish culture in the first century. And so to protect women, to, to challenge men, Jesus says, not in my kingdom. That doesn't happen if you align your life with me. You will not objectify your wife or your marriage as a commodity that you can dismiss when it gets difficult. But Jesus, our teachers of the law have given us an out. Yeah, I've heard that you've heard it said. <laughs> that all you need is a permission letter or a permission letter for her to go about her business. A certificate of divorce. But I tell you, notice that Jesus doesn't even need to point to Scripture. Notice the, the oneness with God the Father. The oneness with the revelation of God. It begins and ends with what Jesus says. I have told you, do not take marriage so lightly. See, the biblical idea of marriage was that it was covenantal, not a contract. But most of us deal with 
most of us. Many in the world deal with marriage as if it's simply a contract. See, a covenantal relationship means acted out love for the long haul. It does not end. And so covenantal relationship is always asking, how do I deal with this next argument? <laughs> how do I deal with this next, this next misunderstanding? Because I'm not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. So how do we bring unity to this situation? Because I'm going to deal with it in five minutes from now, in five years, and God bless us, 50 years from now. So I will deal with this covenantally, not as a contract. How will I respond to the difficult situation I am facing in my relationship? How will I respond? How will I, will I talk to and about my spouse? It is different in our hearts before God if we have committed to a covenantal marriage. Jesus talks about this elsewhere in the gospel because he was challenged on this elsewhere. In Matthew 19, verses 3 to 6, it says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one Flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And if there's a curse on those who separate marriages, I think Hollywood is going to have to do a lot of answering. See, the problem in Jesus' day, and for many today, is not that they enter into a marriage, uh, is that they enter into a marriage still seeing themselves as two, not one, who are just in a contract. Jesus is saying, what you're saying doesn't even make sense. God put you together, made you one flesh. You think you can tear that apart and there won't be any damage? That's called carnage. That's called death. You can't easily toss aside those who have been made one flesh. God calls us to mutually seek and submit to the other for their health and, and for others to seek their sustenance. This is this is beautifully lived out when, when both lives are thought of as aiming towards this covenantal understanding. It's sad when neither think of it as a covenantal understanding. It's often abusive when one does and the other takes advantage of it. But God's view for a healthy marriage is one that sees the other as sacred and loves accordingly. And in both of these areas, when we ignore God's intentions for marriage, just like sexuality, we see damage done, mostly to women and mostly to children. So statistics as recent as May 2023 verify that approximately 37.6 of all marriages are ending in divorce. 85% of people who get divorced get divorced because of a lack of commitment. They're not into it anymore. He's just not that into you. Not necessarily about a lack of trust, not necessarily about abuse, those things exist, but just that they're not that into it, it's become difficult, and it's, as it's popular to say, we just fell out of love. Children with divorced parents are twice as likely to attempt suicide. Teenagers whose parents divorce are more likely to experience mental health issues. 70% of prison inmates in the U.S. incarcerated for long-term sentences grew up in families that were separated. Children are at a greater risk of living in poverty if their parents divorce. Women are more likely to live in poverty if they are divorced. Children with divorced parents are twice as likely to drop out of high school. Now, in light of Jesus... In light of the gospel and his grace and his mercy and his new creation, the new creation he offers, none of these have to be the final story. 
So I don't, whatever you've, you've brought in here and you're like, man, that's a touchy point. That's a difficult one. I've got things I need to deal with. Forgiveness is freely offered. Praise be to God. Forgiveness is freely offered. What, what I am pointing out is these are the natural outcomes of sexuality and marriage on our terms, outside of the way God has ordained them to be. So just to clarify, when, when you feel warm and fuzzies in your heart, when, when you hear that phrase, follow your heart, keep in mind, this is what following your heart does. What Jesus, what, what the scripture says is give me your heart. And I will take your heart of stone and I will break it and I will give you a heart of flesh that beats for me and has a desire to live out this kingdom and will spread the kind of hope and peace and joy and identity that my kingdom brings. Jesus putting a barrier on those who wanted to follow their heart. He said, no, you don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful. He says, God's design is for marriage to be God-honoring and to be forever, one flesh until death do us part. We don't look for ways out. We look for ways to sustain and repair and redeem, to forgive, to find unity. That's what Jesus is in the business of. It's what he did for you and me. Now, this brings us to the end of this, this section. And here's the clincher. Here's the clincher on this. And, and, and Jesus says, listen, he says, okay, if your wife is sexually unfaithful and trust has been broken at that level, because that that, when, when trust has been broken at that level, it's hard to get back. Okay, so when, if your wife commits adultery, then you can seek divorce. God's design is still for reconciliation and reparation, but because of your hearts, as he said earlier, in that situation of sexual infidelity, God would permit, doesn't mean he likes it, he would permit divorce. But remember how this whole section started? But by the way, Men, before you go, oh, she committed adultery, I can get out of this. Before you make that judgment, before you righteously say, I'm justified, she's committed adultery, remember, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Over and over, and you have no leg to stand on before God. We are all in need of forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation and the healing work of the gospel. Praise God, it is available. Often with, with distaste, many look at the Bible's sexual ethic. They look at the biblical ethic for marriage and they say it's suffocating. Give us freedom. Well, as I've said before, before you knock down a fence, you first need to ask why that fence was built in the first place. These are two areas that we have played with loosely and it has been to the detriment of the individual and to the most vulnerable. So the question's, the question that we ought to have is how do we put guardrails on then? Purity does not happen by accident. And many of us have tried it. <laughs> I'm sure I'll do better next time. <laughs> purity does not happen by accident. Purity in our hearts, purity in our bodies, for our minds, purity to protect our marriages. As we aim to, to, to keep sacred that which God has proclaimed sacred we need to put up guardrails and we all know what guardrails are right when you go on a highway or things are difficult you have guardrails up guardrails are not put halfway down the cliff like oh we better come up with something they are put well before you're sliding down they are put well before there is danger 
So we need to set up guardrails in our lives. And maybe not just in these two specific areas. Anywhere in our life where we're finding us heading away from what God has ordained. Away from the blessed life. Not halfway down the embankment. So I just want to give three ways that I think we can put up guardrails in our lives. One is this, confession. A, a breathing in, a breathing out of, of confession and a breathing in of forgiveness that God always freely offers. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness up until three times. No, it doesn't say that. Over and over and over, God welcomes us in. And you guys have heard me say this if you're regular attenders here. You need to know that on the other side of repentance, always and without fail, is a God who runs towards you to embrace you and cover you in his tears. Always, 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 without exception. When we call out to God, he runs towards us and embraces us. So we need, to, we need to make that a natural part of what it means to be a Christ follower is, is, is confessing before God. But also something we, we rarely take advantage of, at least in our, in our tradition, is confessing to each other. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'll tell you, because I've had it in my own life, to have a representative of Jesus in your life who will look you in the eyes and say in the name of Jesus. You are, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. So You know where that scripture calls us a, a, a priesthood? That's what it means to be a priest. <laughs> to look at a sacred other and say, in Jesus' name, you are forgiven. Having people we're accountable to. One or, one or two people in your life who, who love you but are not overly impressed by you and are, well, are happy to push back on your life. There is something knowing that a phone call could come at any time. There's something that comes from, from knowing that you're going to be checking in every Thursday morning. So that's the first thing, confession. The second thing I would say that we put up guardrails with elimination. Eliminate situations, opportunities, access. When I was a young adult pastor, I'd have young adults come into my office and they'd say, oh, we messed up again. We're trying to live uh, sexually pure lives, but uh, uh, last Friday night, we, you know, we, we got physical more than we should have. So, okay. So when is this kind of stuff happening? Well, you know, 1 a.m. in the basement in the dark when no one else is around. Okay. <laughs> I see a pattern and I have some basic ideas of what might help. Elimination. <laughs> Eliminating situations. And I, I'm saying this for both marriages, protecting marriages as well as a sexual ethic that God's called us to. Don't take your phone or your computer in your room, in your room at night. See, but I need it for my alarm. Right, because nobody ever woke up on time before the iPhone. Go analog. Eliminate certain apps from your phone. I know people who've eliminated um, uh, Instagram just because of the videos that come up. Only use your device in the presence of family. So elimination, confession, elimination. Third one I'd say is aggression. <laughs> Be aggressive. Be aggressive. The best defense, as you've heard, is a good offense. We do not simply wait for the next attack on our marriage or on our sexual ethic. We aggressively pursue something greater. We, we do all we can to cultivate a, a deeper desire for more Jesus. And we do that through prayer. We, we do that for, from a practice of devotion. We do that by serving together. We do that by being in community together as we, we nurture something bigger in our lives. 
Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2 says, Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and it is very easy at times, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You want to get rid of these other things in your life where we've allowed um, darkness to seep in, where we've allowed addiction to seep in? When we, when we create a vacuum there by trying to get them out, we need to fill that with more Jesus. We pursue him. We put our eyes on him, aggressively pursuing Jesus, because everything else we're running after to tr is trying to fill the space that only Jesus can fill. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, every man who walks into a brothel is looking for God. He's looking for meaning. He's looking to be seen and known and loved, and he's wasting it. Struggling with addictions in the area of pornography. There, there are helpful ministries and, and websites. There's helpful software that we can go after and try to find help. When our marriage... And some of you have watched with me closely when I've walked with others. If things are falling apart in your marriage relationship, don't walk 10 years before you invite others into that chaos and ask for help. That's, see, when I talk about marriage as a covenant, you need to know church is covenant as well. We are in the, for the long haul with each other. We are not meant to walk into chaos alone. So invite other people into the mess. I love messy church. But invite other people into the mess. This stuff looks silly to the world. But your spiritual and your emotional health is worth it. His glory is worth it. His church is worth it. Continue to visit a better story than the mud pies that we often go after. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. He wants to give us more of himself. One minister said this. He said, the reason that places traditionally have sold pornography or adult stores the reason that their windows are darkened is not so that other people can't look in. It's so that the people inside can't look outside and see the sky. They can't look out and see the beauty of the larger story that is outside those walls. They want them to think that this is all there is. And I want, I want to invite you to pursue that larger story that Jesus would invite you into. Pursue more of him. Run after him. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. And I'll say, as your pastor, please, before this strangles life out of you, personally or, or in your, your marriage relationship, please reach out for help. You may already have people around you who can walk with you and love you and counsel you and push back on you. But please reach out to me as your pastor. Please do not walk through chaos alone. That is... Jesus died to create a church that would walk together. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.